welcome back to Geek Life, Pandamanga.com's very own podcast. I'm JP. As always with me is my fearless co-host, The Brian. Hello, hello. Today we're going to talk about movies. Uh, and for the movies, as always, we try and have somebody who has something worthwhile to say is probably how we always say it. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that... You know, we're going to have, you know, you know, like some famous film director on us with us, but we do have a film student that just graduated, just graduated, just graduated film student. First time on Pandamanga podcast, Trickster. Hello. (laughs) So uh, today we have, let's see, let's go around. Uh, Today we've got Biggs back from a couple podcasts ago. Two or three. Right, right. And then Trickster. And then Mike again. Hey, hey. Here to take all the jokes way too far. Like, this, is, this is Mike's job. This is this is what he does. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you decided uh, what that was. Moving forward. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and then again, we have uh, on loan from zombieegg.com. Zombie-egg. Zombie-egg.com. <laughs> the administrator. And I'm proud to say that this is the first podcast that I'll be on that I'm not horribly hungover or terribly sick. Excellent. Woo-hoo! Yeah, it seems to be the way of things with you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, today we're going to be talking about movies. Uh, the movie that we've chosen to review is Chronicle. Now, it's been having a lot of buzz in the theaters and is, is very exciting, so we're, we're looking forward to talking about that. But first, uh, a little housekeeping. Today up in the housekeeping segment, I wanted to talk a little bit about Pandamanga.com getting some new artists uh, nobody here knows this, but there is a, a young gentleman, uh, actually still in high school, who I have been talking to about coming on board and hooking up with one of our writers. Uh, yeah, yeah, very exciting. Uh, actually, uh, the eighth Henry has already claimed him. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, so uh, he he has a uh, he has a scanner at home. Or at least says he has a scanner at home. I haven't received anything in a little while, but I did talk to him over the weekend, so I do know he's still interested. However, he's going to scan me some of his stuff. I did see in person a comic book that he's been working on. Um, you know, to be completely fair, a little rough, not real polished yet, but lots of character and potential in his art. Uh, you know, and that's I think one of the biggest and most important things about doing comics is that you have your stuff has character. Your characters look like themselves on a consistent basis and they can be emotive. Uh, things are dynamic in some way. It's very important. So, And he definitely has that going for him. So, I don't know how soon we'll have any of his stuff up. Uh, I may put up something when he really does sign on with us and work with us uh, officially. But uh, more on that, you know, in the future. But definitely very excited to have more artists on the scene other than me, because I'll tell you what, <laughs> I've got a crapalanche of work to do. So, <laughs> anyway... All right, so let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about Chronicle. So Chronicle kind of burst onto the scene out of nowhere. We were all intrigued by its. What was it? Was it had like a viral ad campaign early on, didn't it? Don't ask me. No, does anybody? Yeah, no, it did. Uh, I remember seeing a ca- uh, one campaign in New York where they took a bunch of kites that looked like people. And they right. flew them yeah, around about that. the bay uh, over like the Statue of Liberty and all that area, and that was like, and they had little trails behind it, like you know, an airplane does when they fly around, like saying Chronicle. That's nice. really cool. Mm-hmm. I actually really like, like, like the viral campaign stuff like, when they do it well. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, situations where God, what was that one game that dropped balloons on San Francisco? Uh, Mass Effect Three. They just did that. 
Oh, did Mass Effect do it as well? Drop oh, God. Um, it happened... They drop balloons with packages full of ten games in them. Oh, so no, like that's a, a very different story. We'll talk about that. Yeah. That's what we wanted in New yeah. York. But no, this Drops time, around this time last year, um, there was a game, it was a war game, can't remember the name of it, but they dropped red balloons over San Francisco, which on, you know, the surface seemed like, oh, okay, everybody's going to be like, what are these red balloons about? That worked until the wind blew them all into the bay. <laughs> and now you've got the fish like, oh, look, what's all this about? Nom, dead. Nom, nom, nom. But no, the kite idea, that was really sweet. I really like it when they uh, bring in the viral ad campaigns and they actually well, I mean, work well. They, they put out some you know, videos on YouTube early on that were, I mean, we're talking not even teaser trailer. I mean, it was, it was like, you know... A couple quick clips and flashes from the show, I mean, from the movie, and because the movie is in the found film style, or well, I understand more officially uh, is that style is called uh, verite, I think. Uh, but the because it looks like that kind of handy cam style, nobody had any idea that it was an actual movie. You know, everybody was like, "What is this?" And and and, it, and it, on there it said something like, "You know, what do you do with power?" or something like that. It was. But yeah, the viral viral ad campaign with that was really interesting, I, and I think that it's cool that they're starting to do that because the way that social media and just the internet media sharing in general works these days, it just spreads like wildfire. And if there's anything that has any kind of interest or intrigue, then it, it just explodes. And I think it's a very cheap and incredibly effective way to do it. And actually, I did not know about the kites. That's freaking mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, and frankly, I mean, since we're on the theme of, what, the found footage movies, I mean, I think that that's this the viral campaigning for this kind of wrote a check that it could cash with this movie as opposed to Cloverfields, which, you know, <laughs> just I mean, it was pretty exciting at first, you know, with the campaigning and the videos they had out. And then. Right. Well, even Super 8, um, there was some stuff where it seemed like there were viral aspects of it that weren't actually assigned to the movie proper, but people were trying to say, oh yeah, this is for Super 8, but that gave the impression that the movie was going to be something that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys kind of feel the same way, where it was a good movie on its own, right? but the viral stuff really painted it up in a different way. That's true. Well, the viral, you know, viral advertising has, has come to mean, you know, more independent movies, more kind of pushing the edge of things, uh, I mean, whether it's movies or games or things like that, at least in my opinion, because, you know, that's... I would imagine the kind of creative team that would tap into that kind of an idea of viral advertising is somebody who is has young, fresh ideas, things like that. So, so moving, moving on to the uh, movie. So I'll just read the subtext from IMDb here. Three high school friends gain superpowers after making an incredible discovery. Soon, though, they find that their lives or they find their lives spinning out of control, and their bond tested as they embrace their darker sides. That's a, you know, way, way, way to ruin the whole movie, IMDb. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Let's just write out the third act. It's like, it's like Netflix. Have you guys ever re rec like noticed that? You're like watching something on Netflix, and they have a little summary. It's actually a summary. It's mm -hmm. not a little teaser. It's not a little, it's oh, like the they find something exciting, and then amazing things happen. It's like, this is exactly what happens in the episode. You don't have to watch it. <laughs> to be fair, though, saying that that ruined the movie is like saying the trailer ruined the movie, because that's what the trailer shows, too. So, I mean, it's that's not true. like that's anybody's... True. That's true. Well, yeah, well, you're right. You know, we'll, we'll get into it, but that's, I mean, the, the, the story, like, plot points, like a timeline sort of thing, mm -hmm. is, it doesn't really, isn't really where the movie shines, I think. So, uh, anyway, so, you know, a couple of interesting things is, I, I, I myself don't recognize many of these actors in the movie. No, you know, no, we've, really got, no. we've got, we've uh, got uh, Dane DeHaan playing Andrew, uh, Alex Russell playing Matt, and Michael B. Jordan, is it? 
I guess. Michael B. Jordan playing Steve Montgomery. Vote for Steve. Vote for Steve. <laughs> Vote for Steve. <laughs> right. So you know, you know, for the most part, unknown actors. I think that. I think that uh, that Andrew, the guy that played Andrew Dane, he was in a couple other things. Let me. One fun thing is uh, the girl at the party with the pink hair um, is actually the real life girlfriend of Andrew Detmer's. The actor who played Andrew Dane DeHaan? Yeah, Dave DeHaan. So that's so where they, they got her when from. they made out, it wasn't so creepy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what if you really think about it, even more creepy? <laughs> Considering maybe. what happened, yeah, maybe a little bit little more, creepy. more But you know, creepy. that whole bedroom scene could have been from experience. Though. That's you know, very maybe true. Maybe she was really tying in with something that actually... <laughs> yeah, maybe that was all <laughs> ad-libbed. You don't know that for sure. <clears throat> he was really angry. Wouldn't Frustrated. I'd mean, be frustrated, yes. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, that scene. That scene was brutal. Definitely an uh, interesting way to make a turning point. Okay, so let let's just start with our our reviews of it. So on Pandamega.com and the the Geek Life podcast, we have come up or dreamed up our own system for rating movies. So it's basically you know one out of five. There's no half points because the Brian hates those with a fiery passion from beyond the grave. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> and, um, and and so we, we rated one out of five, uh, and we also have a, a, this, a secret sixth rating that, that very few, hopefully, movies will, that ever get on here will be rated. Uh, and then we also do a fun factor of one to a hundred, you know, kind of a la the Rotten Tomatoes one out of a hundred percent, you know. Because I do feel that movies can be rated in their, like, the skillfulness with which they're made is something that should be shared in a review, but at the same time, just how much fun was it? You know, did you really just enjoy the experience? You know, because you can get, you know, film geeky and trip out on it and, 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 you know, point out all of the movie's flaws, and pretty soon it sounds like you didn't enjoy yourself when you actually did enjoy yourself. It's just that they kind of blundered through the movie-making process. Case but it was still here enjoyable. are a couple of examples, like Hotel Rwanda would be a really high-quality movie, but the fun factor is not so high because it's pretty grim and depressing, whereas... Take something like an 80s action movie like, say, Commando. That's a terrible movie, but oh my goodness, how much fun is that movie? <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, so, you know, here, 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 here at the PM Podcast, we really want to make sure that we kind of get the movie, you know, and look at it from all sides, you know. Uh, so, anyway. So, I will lay out the top five plus the six secret one, because we didn't do that last time. And we realized that after we recorded, we're like, oh, man, nobody has any idea what this system is. <laughs> so, okay. So, from best to worst, Midnight Show, Full Price, Matinee, Pirate, Netflix It, and then the sixth secret one is Bleach, as in you wish you could pour bleach in your ear to forget the entire experience. Thanks for telling everybody the secret one. It's the secret oh, one. Oh, God. I'm telling you the secret one because secret I'm pretty close. Cool. We're never going to be like remove every movie that was that freaking awful. That oh, just wait until I choose a movie. terrible at secrets. Yeah, this also, that, oh, that also. By the way, Pandamanga Podcast and Pandamanga.com does not endorse nor condone any sort of pirating of movies, music, software, or boats. Right? Yeah. No. It's 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 more like it's it's not like a, it's, it's more like a <laughs> feeling know, in your heart. Come on. <laughs> we don't Those believe in poor poor people. Uh, I, I'm glad to. the whole pouring bleach in your ear though is perfectly fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to give a disclaimer. By the way, don't actually do that. <laughs> We're not recommending that. It's the pirating yes. that you zone in on. Oh yeah. Well, that's technically <laughs> illegal. The other one's just pure stupidity. <laughs> Okay, so I will start with my 
uh, opinion about the movie. I think that it was great. I really, really liked it. Uh, I, I, I'll admit that I watched it three times on the first weekend. Oh, shit. <laughs> now, partially it's because we tried to go see it at the midnight show. Some of the people that I invited in the midnight show made it, and then, but they all wanted to go. But then some people that didn't make it were like, let's go see it on Saturday. Let's go see it on Sunday. And so the next thing I know, I'm watching it bang, bang, bang over and over. But I'll tell you this. It was good enough to see that many times and not be like, wow, I'm really done. Can I get out of here before the movie was over? And, you know, being like from the found film kind of category of movies, I actually took it as a challenge when I went back to see it the other times as can I find a mistake? Can I find something that they did in the movie that doesn't keep in line with the, you know, somebody's holding this right now, you know, or, 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 or later on, you know, I'll explain that in a second, but, but, you know, that, 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 that the movie is made under the guise that somebody has this camera, this camera exists in this world, there's not, you know, an entire team of people working this camera, like in a normal movie. And so I was coming in there, those second and third times, trying to find mistakes, and I gotta tell you, Every time I thought I found a mistake, it wasn't a mistake. It was it was brilliant. You know, uh, I found a few. You know what, Brian? Way to go, God! You're just it. a nitpicky little bastard. That's how I roll. It is yeah. how I roll. Anyway, so um, I think that the dynamic between all the friends in the movie was really really important. The you know it's it's kind of your quintessential like what happens when you give power to people and you know they're kind of their their deep down inner selves come out. You know, and obviously the, the, the troubled kid starts kind of heading down a dark path, you know, on a long enough timeline. But at the same time, that troubled kid, Andrew, Andrew, played by Dane, was easily the highlight of the whole movie. Like, his, his, his performance was freaking incredible. I mean, believable and aggressive and, I don't know, I just, I really liked it. I thought yeah. that he did such an amazing job. You know, the, the kind of intensity that he brought to it. So one of my favorite scenes is after they've already become a little bit disillusioned with each other, the, the group of friends, and, and, Dane's, and Dane's character, Andrew, has kind of broke off to the side and is doing his own thing. And he's the one who's carrying the camera throughout the whole movie. And so he sets the camera up, and he's sitting in this junkyard, and he's sitting on top of this car. And he had been researching this concept called the Apex Predator, which... Is, is really kind of interesting concept, but it was kind of cool how they brought it in there. You know, he was basically saying, you know, humans are considered the apex predator because, you know, of our, you know, intelligence and tools and weapons and things like that, that there's really nothing on the planet that we can't kill, essentially, that we can't, you know, be a, the highest level predator. We're at the top of the food chain, essentially. And what was so cool is that as he's growing through and having these powers and kind of developing into this, like, darker personality because of this power and this kind of self, you know, sense of entitlement and superiority, he starts to develop, instead of just feeling like I'm better than you guys, he starts to take it to this like crazy, you know, nature channel animalistic way of being like, I'm the apex predator, you know? And I just thought that bringing that concept into the movie was very cool. And it also gave just like kind of a unique sort of dread you know, in the pit of your stomach when he starts to talk about that. Because it's one thing if he's, if somebody's, you know, coming out and they're getting all these powers and he's like, oh, I'm better than everybody else. They shouldn't treat me wrong. I, I, I'm more powerful. You know, it's just kind of like this, like, whiny little kid waving his, like, scrawny little arms around. I'm better than everybody else. But for him to just kind of drop that bomb and be like, 
you know, I, I'm reading about this thing, you know, the, the apex predator, right? The apex predator, you know, and, you know, I really, you know, I really think that means something. And just like not really going anywhere with it overtly and like describing that he begins to think that he is becoming the apex predator, but kind of slips it in there. And it's just really cool. Yeah. He talks about like how a lion doesn't feel guilty when he kills a gazelle right. and how humans don't feel guilty when they kill a fly. Right. And it kind of shows sort of psychopathic tendencies in that sort of a way instead of sociopathic, which is pretty much on, um, just in layman's terms, the big difference is psychopath doesn't understand the difference between right and wrong. Sociopath does just really doesn't care. So he doesn't understand towards the end that what he's doing is wrong. Right. He starts to kind of sh- believe that he has shifted into this different, you know, place essentially in the natural order where he is at the top. Yeah. Of, you know, of the food chain, of the whatever, you know. And so anyway, that was really cool. So like, I really feel like the movie started out kind of like a simple buddy film, really, uh, you know, with a sort of like superhero twist. And it kind of went to this, you know, really deep, dark, interesting, you know, investigation into what happens when people have power and, and you know, what's what's going on under the surface and kind of where does the, how dangerous can that, uh, you know, teenage angst be and what, you know, how can, you know, abusive families and hard home life, you know, how, how twisted can someone become? You know, I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was really cool on a lot of levels. And, and, you know, moving on to my opinion of the, of the special effects and stuff, really cool. And actually I wanted to ask a question uh, to the administrator. See, you know, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, when, when you're putting CG into a movie that, if the camera is kind of steady or still or on sort of like a logical path, like on a track or on a, you know, tram or something like that, you know, that it would be, I would imagine, a little easier to input the CG in because, you know, it's not like this, the screen isn't shaking all over the place, you know? And so my, my, my question to you is, you know, from, from, a, from a 3D art point of view, trying to sneak a, uh, you know, CG into a scene and have it look like it really fits, when they're doing the shaky cam verite style, where it's all over the place and there's different quality levels and there's fuzz and the, you know and there's interference in the picture, like like is it easier because the picture quality is lower or is it more challenging? You know that was actually something that really stood out uh, in the movie for me. Just the one aspect of it that made me kind of step back and say, hey, wait a minute, uh, what they did as far as the 3D goes is actually a little strange because. When you have the scenes, like, in the beginning where they're playing with the blocks, very steady cam, good lighting, 3 kind of looked like uh, garbage. Kind of fake, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you see other scenes, like, when they're in the sky, and those look pretty good. Right. I honestly don't understand what happened as far as the 3D goes, because... There's a lot of technology that allows you to add realism to your models when you're trying to overlay them into, like, real scenes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if anybody has kind of seen what's going on online, but they recently released a program that allows you to input 3D objects into photographs. And the program will interactively go in, figure out where the lighting sources are from the the picture, and project them onto the model. Wow. This is not a big budget program. Theoretically, anybody can go down and buy this program. So it's not something that's just super exclusive that only the big budget uh, studios can have. 
So why they didn't go and do this, I don't know. Um, so it, you're saying it's kind of like a mixed bag from it, the it perspective really is. of like the 3D art. But it feels like what happened in that movie runs opposite to what should be. Those blocks should have looked really realistic. And that airplane scene should have looked less so if they were really working with a limited budget. Right. It feels like maybe they spent more money on certain scenes mm -hmm. and then say maybe those blocks happened at the very end. It was like, oh crap, you know, this Lego scene, we gotta really quickly do this. Get the intern to do it. I don't care if it looks good or not. Get Go. the wires. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess just in, in, in summary of kind of my opinions on it, and we'll go around and give our ratings after we all kind of, you know, weigh in, is is that I thought it was really excellent. And, and you know, it, it could be because of my history with liking Japanese cartoons and animation. It has heavy, heavy ties to, uh, or heavy influences from the Akira comic books by uh, Katsuhiro Otomo. Uh, which, by the way, if, if, if anybody listening to this has not watched Akira or read the comic books go out and do it right now. It's really, really fantastic. The comic books take it a whole lot farther. It's a much more robust and long story, but the, but the movie does a very excellent job of capturing the spirit of the comic books, and it's worth, it's worth a watch, you know, in, at two hours of your time, and it's, it, it's, it's enriching. It's really good. And, and seeing that and then going back and watching Chronicle it, is really cool. I mean, there's little nods to it, even, even to where, you know, some of the fight scenes towards the end of the movie, you know, one of the characters has, you know, is in, like, in bandages and, like, you know, hospital clothes, which is exactly how it is in, in Akira. And it's, it's almost like, you, it's undeniable that there's a little nods to it here and there. So, I mean, actually, they're coming out with an Akira movie, aren't they? Yes. I think that there was a couple people, who, you know, posting on the internet early on were like, is this it? Is this the Akira movie? Like Are they reimagining it? You know, honestly, I think the Akira movie has a lot to live up to after this. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, actually, knowing about Akira, having seen the movie, I think it enhanced seeing Chronicle because you're sitting there going oh I see what they're doing so I think that really brought a lot more not that I'm saying that not seeing Akira first will take away from the movie but I, I definitely agree with you it enhances it so what so so uh, uh, administrator what do you think about the movie like what what was your what is your takeaway from it you know I really enjoyed it and considering that I'm really <coughs> nitpicky about the 3d the fact that I could really nitpicky <laughs> like I can remember we walked out of a movie one time that she was so excited to go see and and we we're all like that was really fun and she's steaming and we're like what and she's like I can see the seams on his neck like oh man <laughs> that's actually why I I ended up not liking Cloverfield. Um, I was able to forgive a lot of stuff. But when they brought the monsters back, no. When they finally revealed the monster's face, I'm like, oh, I know what they used. Crap. And it was just, it just the looks end fake for me. All of a sudden, yeah. Right? So, so what do you think about this movie? So, even with the 3D being not so good, I walked out of this movie thinking, wow, this was really well done. The characters were very real. Um, I really associated a lot with all of them. They all had their own story to tell. They all had their own challenges. And it was just really great. The story flow was really good. And the fact that they didn't go out of their way to explain everything, I think, was really excellent. They didn't cover what the deal with the thing that gave them the power was. Mm -hmm. It's just the MacGuffin. Yeah, it's the MacGuffin. You know, it's the... the monster. <laughs> Forest Rangers. <laughs> Essentially, they just danced around yeah. what it was. And yeah. the, the fact that, you know, he lost his camera down there, and then all of a sudden, hey, it's 
back for the lost film footage. Exactly. Like, yeah, how do they, they find do. it? So, like, when... Yeah, there's definitely... This... That's one of the things that's interesting about the found footage movies is that there's always an opportunity for an entire another story of, like, how did somebody go and collect all this stuff? Because half the time it's kind of like, dude, these cameras are in random-ass places. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have taken years, you know, theoretically, to, like, collect all this footage and cobble it together. Yeah, like, who put it together? Some crazy coup? I mean, somebody like had to, like, go down there into that tunnel of... and dig that fucking camera out. That's yeah. the only way. Yeah, and... I just love that style where they don't tell you everything because I don't think that it adds to a movie if it's like, oh, by the way, this happened because A, B, and C. We don't need to know. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're always wondering about it, but at the end of the day, yeah. doesn't that That's... add to the movie where you're laying yeah. you know, in bed at night thinking, well... What was that thing? Mm-hmm. Why did that happen? Yeah, especially when that's not like the key purpose of the movie, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the ending. Oh, I gotta say, when everything oh, started going down, I was really pulled in. It's like, oh, God, what's gonna happen mm-hmm. now? And just the climax of the movie was really great, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but come on. I think everybody yeah, can agree. Very that powerful. Very powerful. Was anybody just sitting like, oh, I wonder when this movie's gonna be over? No. It's just a little teardrop. So yeah, I thought it was really great, and I really hope there's more movies like that. I actually saw an interview with the director and some of the guys. The director, by, the director, by the way, is Josh Trank. Josh, yes, Josh Trank. Uh, which I'm looking at his IMDb right now, and I can't see anything that I recognize at all. You know, Chronicle, The Kill Point, Big Fan, Dante's World. I mean, some of these you know you've heard of or see, but it's it's nothing big, nothing like this. But, uh, but yeah, I saw an interview with them, and they were answering, you know, fan questions that were emailed into the show, and w- one of the questions was, are we going to get more Chronicles? Is there going to be a sequel? And essentially, his, his response was, if there's enough interest in it, I'd be interested in looking into it. <laughs> you know, we threw around some ideas already, but, uh, you know, nothing, nothing is solid yet. But so, it's, it's possible. It's not like he's thrown down, you know, the gauntlet and been like, no, not going to happen. So, maybe... Yeah, but the, the one fear, like, a, a sequel, is it going to be in the same vein? Or is it going to be like, you know, five years later they found this thing, it's going to give all these people these powers, and, you yeah. know, world fighting. We just don't know. I mean, that's and that's the thing of it, is that you have to trust that the creative team that were able, was able to deliver this really excellent movie in the first place is going to be true to it, and if they don't think that they can, they're just going to be like, no thanks. Yeah, that's yeah. the hope. And there's definitely a sense that there's a kind of like a, a fierce uh, dedication to creativity and quality in this movie in comparison to like let's just make lots of money and have it be a blockbuster and have it be all smooth and clean mm-hmm. you know there are you know there are what could be considered some pacing problems maybe you yeah. know that there's slow points and it seems like in a Hollywood movie it's like bang 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 done mm-hmm. you know well my mind so was a sequel is to make more money right. play off the original idea sequel money big explosions or 3D Michael Bay coming in or, or 3D, 3D. big explosions <laughs> boobs yes Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> 3D. Slow motion panning shot. So, so Brian, what was your opinion about this movie? Well, um, I gotta say, uh, even before I give my review, it was one of the best films I've seen in theaters in quite a while. Um, I know we've had, we've talked about the complaints of the little, like, Lego blocks when they're building stuff. And outside of that scene, the special effects to me felt a lot more real especially in superhero movies, than right. I've seen in a long time. A lot of CGI just kind of pulls me out because I know that it's CGI, whereas this one, it felt real. Like, it really felt like these things were going on. Um, so my suspension of disbelief wasn't suspended or dispelled. Um, and 
I don't know. It was, uh, I thought that the pacing was great. One of the things that I always worry about in films is it can be a terrible film as long as there's good banter and good pacing. Um, and the characters themselves, it's like, minus the telekinesis, I knew every single one of these people in my high school life and in my adult yeah, life. Yeah, you cared about, yeah, like, yeah. recognize these kind of yeah. archetypes, and you also got to care about these yeah, characters, like, the very characters in the movie. The, the character Steve, I know a guy who was exactly like Steve. Same with Matt. Like, to a T is just like him. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, Andrew, I knew a few people like him. And, uh, Hopefully not exactly like him. But not exactly <laughs> like him. Well, Whatever did happen to that one guy? He's on trial for murder. But that's another story for another day. Yeah. Um, but you're right. So very tangible characters. Yeah, very, very tangible characters. It just seemed like they took a lot of time in the beginning of the movie to... You know, not just jump straight to the action, yeah. but to like really develop the characters. Oh, yeah, they, they really I mean, did. Easily half of the movie yeah. before they really right. start kind of going crazy with the powers. Yeah, and for the people who are like, yeah, right, somebody's gonna film their entire life. Yeah, I believe that, especially in this day and age when you have people with video blogs and Twitter and Facebook and MyFitSpace and all that sort of stuff, where everybody's like, here I am, world, and just putting out all kinds of stuff about themselves. Um, well, and, you know, and they they did they did go out of their way in the beginning of the movie to talk up to 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 have to, the scene where his father is banging on the door, Andrew's right. father is banging on the door, and kind of threatening physical harm. Yeah, and yeah. Andrew yells at him, "I'm I'm taping this. I'm yeah. taping this. What? I, I'm taping everything now." And the dad kind of slinks away. Exactly. So it's kind of like I mean, even more so a motivation for him to film everything that there's exactly. terrible things going on, so that you know, in his mind, maybe. You know, with his dad's on camera, maybe he won't be such a bastard, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it made perfect sense to me that he would be chronicling his life. Yeah. Um, so I, I really actually appreciated that sort of an aspect of it. Um, the found footage thing, I thought it was done very, very well, especially when you get to the telekinetic power where they're actually floating the camera around, thus allowing them to give different angles than your normal found footage. It's one of the coolest things, because I think that's a big failing in a lot of the found footage films, is that, you know, halfway in, you're, like, with it. But getting towards the end, you're kind of like, I'm really ready for them to have just this freaking smooth camera at this mm -hmm. point. Yeah. My head hurts. Right, and, and yes. that was one thing they did, is that, you know, a little ways in, one of the characters gets the ability, or learns how to levitate the camera. Yeah. And then it's just kind of floating. I mean, it's kind of like, kind of, you know, Wa like underwater sort of sway to yeah. it, but but it was much smoother. Yes. But it was like it was a brilliant way to have it still be technically found footage, but have it not actually be obnoxious. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. <laughs> it was and, really good. Very good. And one of the things is, in my mind, telekinesis for a superpower. If you ever ask. What if you could have a superpower? What would it be? Well, number one is always going to be mind control for me, but number two <laughs> is going to be telekinesis. Yeah, and in this movie, you can tell why. Yeah, totally. <laughs> very, very cool. So, Mike, what, what what was your takeaway from this movie? We saw it at Midnight Show together. Right? Yes, I did see Midnight with you, and uh, I believe a couple other people. Yeah. Um, amazing! It was a highlight of definitely of the year so far for me. Uh, two two points I really want to talk about with this movie is uh, I don't know if any of you have really heard about the documentary called Bully. Uh, it's trying to come out right now. Um, I don't know. Anyways, I was just I was watching something about it a couple weeks ago, right after I saw the movie, and the you know Andrew's life in the beginning of the movie it placed right into and, and Bully is a documentary about you know kids' lives in high school and preschool and all that stuff, preschool but elementary school about how they get bullied 
uh, by other students and what it can lead to, and especially after the shooting in Ohio just recently at the high school. Oh, yeah. You know, these yeah. play directly into like what's happening in cultures. So I, I wanted to point that out, and if you haven't heard about Wooly, look it up. It's an amazing video. Please do so. I follow IMDb a lot, and there was an article on IMDb about Bully um, because it got an R rating, and yeah. they're trying to get that overturned because they feel it's really important yeah, for, for people to see it finally. Right. Like, high school students just really yeah. murder the the amount of people that get to watch yeah, it. Right. It basically means that you know anyone you know seventeen and under can't really see it unless the parent brings them in. And so what they did is like the guy who made it actually was like, I'm not even going to go for the rating system, but the rating system is like, you know what, we're going to give it an NC seventeen rating. Which means that it doesn't matter if you have an adult with you, you can't see it until you're 17 or older. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So that's so they're still battling for. Yeah. The uh, last night I heard like a week or week ago or so. Um, I'm not sure what the outcome has come with it, um, but yeah, it's definitely something. Look it up if you can. You know, write a petition in. I'm sure they got millions of them out there. About and it. frankly, what it comes down to is just to give a, a little more background. That the idea for the rating is that they're trying to rate it so hard because of language and violence. Mm -hmm. But what it comes down to is the violence and the language in the film is stuff that's actually happening to kids. Yeah. So basically, blocking the kids, you know, from seeing kind of their experience mm -hmm. is really doing everyone a disservice. Right. Exactly. Right. So uh, going back, just wanted to point that out. It brings you into Andrew's world, especially if you've ever been bullied or if you know anyone who's ever have been bullied in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you, you feel for that character. And they, I believe they did that extremely well, how most bullying comes from home with his father. Uh, so definitely something really good. Uh, on the verge, on the aspect of um, the found footage part of it, uh, like, like Brian was saying, I thought they did just her, it's a great job about with the, the, the three, the, the camera coming up from behind with Andrew. Um, the one thing I always just, because I, uh, you know, a family who, who does professional video work is, you know, how does he get such great shots without looking at the camera? So, yeah, if I ever tried to do that, like, just, like, hold the camera and just point it out, you know, and all you get is, like, a shoulder, and, you know, he has, like, perfectly cropped shots, and I thought... Yeah, I, I, whenever, whenever I would do, I, I went through a phase where I wanted to, like, document my life and make, yeah. like, episodes for every month. <laughs> and it'll last for a long Did you get telekinetic powers? No, no, but, but what I was going to say is, is that... I've, I ran into that very same problem, and mm -hmm. I actually ended up getting like a, a, a pretty intense fisheye to fit on my camera. Because mm -hmm. then you can just kind of like blindly aim at anything, and you're gonna get something. something yeah. You know, I mean, it, so but but and the, the the difference is dramatic when you've got a wide angle death lens fisheye, whatever you want to call right. it. They've got lots of different names and versions, but something that warps the picture out in that kind of like dome shape, it gets so much more information in. And just a quick caveat, you know, since you mentioned the episodes of your life thing, and since you're a comic guy, are you familiar with American Splendor at all? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, they actually came up with a movie a little while ago. Giamonti played yeah. the main character. Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting movie. Yes, oh, very yeah. much so. Yeah. So anyway, you were saying it was difficult. You're imagining it would be difficult to get the shot. Yeah. So get those angles. Like uh, uh, that. That was the only thing that took me out of the movie. Mm -hmm. So for that to be the only thing to take me out of the movie is saying a lot because I'm not exactly a big fan of the found footage. Um, Blair Witch, while while scaring the hell out of me, annoyed the hell out of me too. Right. Uh, you know, just why why does the camera have to be just just shaking everywhere? Just does <laughs> it no. Um, Cloverfield, I I watched like ten minutes um, of it, pirated, um, and but <laughs> that just deterred me from going to see the movie. Sadly to say, <laughs> any of you you know movie makers out there, you know, who was Michael Garangelli, you can get me at forty one forty seven. Ha! But, so, but, yeah. As far as the found footage goes, this is really good. And actually, yeah. as you bring that up, I wanted to I wanted to get this thought out of my head before I forget it. 
is I, I'm coming back to what I said about going back a couple times and trying to find mistakes. And I know the Brian said he found mistakes because he's the Brian. But <laughs> one of the parts that I that I thought they were making a mistake and then was like, wow, no, that's not actually happening. Was they? It was at one point where they had a tripod camera uh-huh. sitting there watching one of the characters, you know, like just like laying in bed, crashed out, and you know the scene starts to get kind of intense, and the camera kind of kind of pans in a little bit. And the first time I watched the movie, I was like, oh, it just feels so natural that you don't even realize it. And the camera, like the, the movie itself, is switching between all these different cameras in the whole movie. Um, but it was switching between, like, the security cam for that room and then that camera on the tripod. And if you notice that when it starts to pan in, the tripod camera actually starts to scrape across the ground, getting pulled into him. With with the telekinetic powers and it's just like little subtleties like that. It's just like damn, go Josh Trank, man, so good. It's just little things like that because they were able to achieve so much. You know what would normally be just excellent cinematic practices Mm -hmm. to with with this style. Very cool. Yeah. So other than that, I thought the movie was uh, fantastic. You really feel for the characters. Um, That entire week afterwards, I was just thinking about it. I didn't go and see it a couple more times, mainly because. I got stuff and I don't like it, but um, I do plan on seeing it the moment it comes out, or I can. Yeah, that's that's a yeah. You're gonna yeah. This is something I'm probably gonna own at some point. <laughs> yeah, that's a good movie. Yeah, it's gonna be. So so moving over, Trickster. What was your impressions? You guys saw it today. You yeah. yeah Trickster and Biggs went out and saw it this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, we just saw it at, um, this afternoon. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had seen the trailers online or on yeah online on IMDb and didn't really understand what it was about, but it looked interesting. And I really liked that fact that I didn't really know what it was going into it. But right. um, I really enjoyed the characters, like everyone has been saying. Um, they had really strong motivations and were really believable. And I really think that the the actors were able to really tap into that. I mean, apart from being really good actors, I think the characters were written so well and that the the motivations that each of them had throughout the movie really just helped it mesh between what had been written and what they brought to the table as right, well. Nothing really felt forced. Yeah, it felt really natural. And then, as well as the pacing. I, I know you mentioned like there were some slow parts and everything, but um, I felt that the pacing was really good, that the that they took the time for us to get to understand the characters' relationships with one another and the positions that they were in and right. how that grew throughout the film. Right. Mm-hmm. I felt that that was a really great, great job. Right. On well, what, I, what I meant by the slow pacing is that slow pacing in like, in like the Hollywood blockbuster sense. Right. You know, and I do think that a lot you of the times... You've got your action beats every like five pages right, or something. Exactly. Like that. Well, I, but I do, think, I do think that there's something lost in translation when somebody is so interested in keeping a high speed throughout the story and in movies like uh, Chronicle or a lot of independent movies in particular, they really take the time to have those kind of quiet moments yeah. that really mean so much. So yeah, I, yeah, that's what I meant. Sure. And then going off what Mike said about um, the cameras, mm-hmm. um, like the different kind of filming styles, I thought it was one thing I picked up on. I thought was really interesting. Was in the beginning when he first started filming. The camera that he used, like everything you were seeing, it wasn't like super finesse. It looked like a handy cam footage. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really interesting that once we changed cameras, you started getting different qualities of footage. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that you could actually tell the difference. Right. It was, and even so with him filming, you know, in the beginning, it was kind of like, 
awkward and how he's holding it and you know the it was kind of skewed and all that kind of thing and then throughout the film it kind of got a little bit neater and you know especially once he started playing with the telekinesis with the camera it got a lot more fluid like right. you guys were saying but it's kind of interesting to even see like how he grew in terms of like how he was filming everything it really kind of refre reflected um you know how the character was developing as well i felt but yeah confidence in himself made it so he's more confident in his right. kind of work right yeah. i mean and just skills too you know yeah i just realized something do we have any sense of time as far as this movie went how long mm, was this from whole start to end we don't no it doesn't so, give it to you well, no i mean it does i mean it you know it's in a span of a year at the very least, because there was no graduation. There's no graduation. There was no summertime. It was yeah. all just school. It was basically, so, I mean, yeah. It was if, within, within the, you know. If you look at the weather-wise, it seemed like it was, you know, starting of school, um, ending in fall. Because of the, uh, you know, the storm. Seattle. Yeah. That's the rough oh, part. They were but they do like say at one point that, um, that his girlfriend had, like, they have a message uh, from his, Steve's girlfriend saying, you've been hanging out with those three guys for three weeks now, or those two other guys for yeah, three for weeks now, so you know that mm -hmm. at least a month has passed in the time span of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, probably quite a bit more. The yeah. reason why I bring this up is, um, just linking in with the use of the camera, if he's filming every single day, then that would kind of justify why t near the end of the movie, before you know they rely more on other cameras, mm -hmm. why the um, filming would become better. Yeah. Uh, if he's filming every single day and obviously he's reviewing his footage, he's going to have a better idea of how he can point the camera in the right way with his telekinesis to get the shots that he wants. So he's becoming this little mini filmmaker. Right. Yeah. Very true, yeah. Yeah. Growing up before our very eyes. <laughs> and all that stuff happened. <laughs> you know, piggybacking on what you're talking about with the different quality levels, I thought yeah. that because it's like the found footage style instead of just the handicam style movie, that you know there are there are lots of different cameras used in the movie where it's like the scene. There's a scene early on where they're at a party and it's showing different camera angles from this young girl who's like a blogger, video blogger, and then his really shitty camera that he first got. And it goes back and forth between them, and the quality of video is dramatically different. They go out of their way to have all these different levels of quality, I mean, like from how they hold it to just like how expensive the camera was. And it jumped all over the place, you know. Phone cameras were used at certain points, you know, uh, like black and white. You know, CCTVs, like, right, right. No, or, or there, yeah. there was, there was a couple scenes, especially kind of towards the the big finale, uh, where there wasn't a handicap flying around, and it was cobbled together from like security cameras, security cameras, and like street street lights, what do you call yeah. them? The, the red light, red, cameras, red light cameras, cameras and stuff. You know, you know, some Cop scenes are like are like at like fifteen frames a second. Right. Yeah. So anyway, really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed it. The there was one place where I was taken out, and that was it. And obviously trying not to give anything away, I'm going to be a little bit vague, but it was in the fight scene in the finale. It felt like there was a lot of repetitive actions. So the, the issue I had was that there were, something would happen, the fighting would stop, and like the boys would talk to one another, and then Andrew would do something, and then they'd be off again. Mm -hmm. And then it happened again. They'd stop. One another would talk, 
and then almost like something the same thing would happen. It wouldn't even be the same something it. different. It'd yeah, in be, some cases, it was almost the same exact conversation. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Kira, Kira, at that point, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's part of that. Anime. I mean, have you seen Have you seen Akira? No. That part of that is nods to that because essentially it's it's you know one guy's flipping out, the other one's trying to stop him, mm-hmm. and you know it gets to a place where it's kind of like you can't reason with this guy. You're just yelling his name, trying to get him to stop. Yeah. You know, and, and at the same time, not wanting the you know the police or whatever to shoot him in the head. You know, and as you're stuck in this crazy sort of tor- you know, tumultuous sort of place, and so it like communication breaks down, and that's that's the way it was in Akira, definitely. You know? Sure, but I can see what you mean. I can understand what you're saying. It's just um, the issue is that I felt like it wasn't escalating. Oh, I felt okay. it was kind of staying stagnant. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was the only issue I had with that. I didn't have an issue of what happened. Mm-hmm. I just wished that it would kind of advance it to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. To get to a place where they were talking, enough. where they were just battling, sort of thing. I'm sorry? To get to a place where it was more extreme. Right. Right. To, to kind of accentuate what ends up happening. Right, yeah. That was the only issue I had with it, really. But um, other than that, I really enjoyed it. I, I wasn't taken out of it other than that one moment. So. Mm-hmm. so Biggs, finally, what was your opinion? All right, so, I mean, I think that the main themes of what everyone liked here had to do with A, the characters, and B, the handicam work, right? So first of what I wanted to start off with is kind of delving more into kind of the micro picture instead of the macro. And one of the things that I really, really liked about the character development was the way that they developed Steven in particular. Mm. Um, I'm someone who grew up and was pretty frequently bullied and so could see kind of the perspective from of that Andrew was having. I mean, obviously, I was never kind of never didn't have sort of the home life and didn't have the violence and all that sort of thing. Right. But what I'm trying to get at is that they pitched Steven as this guy who is pretty relatable, friendly guy. They all had a pretty good relationship, but was all, but was also popular, and that was part of his identity. And you know, people knew him in school, but he wasn't like a jerk about it. And that was just kind of the way his personality was. And at a certain point in the in the movie, the relationship between him and Andrew breaks down as Andrew's starting to perceive him as this guy that thinks of himself as this popular jerk simply based on his popularity right. and starts distancing himself because he perceives this sort of social distance. And it was fantastic the way they managed to make it so that the audience could see where Stephen was coming from and that he wasn't a jerk and totally taken aback by the way that Andrew was responding to him, but you could still kind of understand where Andrew was coming with coming from it as well. And it was totally irrational knowing the characters, but you could kind of see, you know, knowing the way teenagers function, that someone could reasonably feel that way in that situation. And so that, that really popped out at me as far as how well the characters were developed. And the second thing is... I honestly had a problem with the way that that the cameras were done for the for the for the found footage style, and it wasn't so much in the way that it was was done because technically everything was great, like having the cameras slide, you know, when there's telekinesis going on and the way that was handled. But it seemed as though the developers of the film came into it saying, "All right, we're doing found footage. All of our effort needs to make sure that everything is perfect," and. 
for the most part it was, but I felt that it made for some situations that didn't really make as much coherent sense as everything else did. Like, why is there a camera? And the reason, right the now? first scene that this popped out was when they were up at the tower, and he sucks all the cameras out. Mm. And as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, okay, now we, now there's gonna have cameras, so now we can have this scene. And it kind of felt like just having that sort of pulled away, where you were like, oh, okay, it's cool that they're doing, you know, the handy cam thing. But I didn't feel as though it made the scene any richer because of that. I felt that if the whole film had not been done with the found footage, that it would have been just as good as it was, but that the found footage thing kind of added this other layer to it that is, can almost be considered as an entirely side point from how good the movie itself was mm. because of just sort of the trickery that they used, which is fine. But also having, you know, you mentioned the scene where you had, you know, in, at the party where there was the girl and the guy and they both had the scenes and I, I felt that was really useful, but it felt as though that they were doing that specifically because they wanted to mirror a technique of doing that without the found footage. Right. So it was just, a lot of it felt, felt like they were shoehorning cameras into certain positions specifically so that they could do what they wanted while still sticking well, to the found They do what they camera. would have done anyway if they weren't doing found footage. Right. Now, um, from that standpoint... Do you think they would have been able to get away with just showing as little of the thing that gave them the power as they did if this wasn't a found footage movie? Because I feel like if this was a regular old movie, if they just showed that one little snippet of them getting their powers, people would have had a problem with it. Because that camera gets lost, it's acceptable. Like, do you think they could have pulled that off otherwise? You know, what I, I agree with that 100%. I think that that's true, that because of the fact that it's found footage, you can get away with a certain amount of things not being seen. Um, but there's still the issue of the camera being lost, but then we still have the footage. I mean, so, I mean, that whole situation seems kind of shaky to me in general. Mm -hmm. um, but, so, I do think that there were certain things done with the plot that having the found footage format added to in some circumstances, right. but I don't think that you would have needed to just redo the whole plot if it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. There was actually an X-Files episode. I couldn't tell you which one it was, um, but it has it's to do with the teenagers getting about. basically super fast speeds. Um, they got super fast speeds? Yeah, they got super fast speed, and they were it was actually Good causing like micro tears in their body and stuff like that, and it was only teenagers that could get it, but they had to keep going back to this cave or whatever. Oh my god, yes! Absolutely! Yeah, and they never really explained anything of what was going on, and by the time that they solved the case and went back to the place, the government had pretty much concreted in the entire cave. That's right! So That's how the X-Files rolls, though. They're like, it, it really this is, is what's happening. This is what's happening. Why is it happening? But it's a secret. It's a secret. But there is <laughs> like... in the back. <laughs> Go away, you kids. <laughs> but... I think in movies you can kind of get away from those sorts of instances. Um, a bad but yet good example, because it's not a good movie, but I really liked it, was Skyline. Skyline did that sort of a thing where it's an alien invasion. Well, why are they invading? What are their abilities? I don't know. Yeah. Does it really matter? No, because it's everybody else is panicking and not really understanding what's going on. Well, and so, that, 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 you know, that brings me to an interesting point, because uh, working with... Joe and the Eighth Henry, who are some of our resident writers, as, as well as as well as the administrator, seeing and trying to because for me historically I've just done art. I never really did the writing. I mean, I tried to and just struggled with it. Uh, but spending so much time around these guys, I've really gotten to where I've become more confident and pick you know glean some things that they do off of it. And I've come to find myself gravitating towards and respecting stories that 
that take place in a big, complicated, well-thought-out, robust world or universe or situation or whatever, but don't necessarily explain freaking everything. You know, like, uh, I mean, I mean, the, the classic example would be something like Star Wars. There's so much technical information backing up that universe, it's mind-numbing. And the story is about a handful of people. I mean, it's on a big scale, you know. But I'm trying. Try, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. But I but can think of one after TK four two one. Last Starfighter. Yeah. Oh, right. right. I mean, there's like a whole backstory for that guy if you right. feel like putting your effort in finding it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I just. I think. But I, I was like I'm saying is that I find myself really drawn to a, a storytelling style where you go out of your way to come up with huge amounts of backstory and information so you have a very robust, real, living, breathing, organic world. And then you you take a little piece of that and tell a story. So that it's not like you... It, so it never feels like the story is happening in the middle of this town and the backs of the buildings are just, you know, uh, are just like fake. You know what I mean? Like that... I always think of, in some movies, I always think of the... Uh, uh, like you see like the Hollywood scenes where like for like the westerns and it's that like down the middle of the, of the town and when you're standing in the street it looks totally real but if you like go past one of the sides of the buildings it's just like these flat front fe- faces yeah. with these like little angular beams holding them up and I, 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 that's kind of how it can feel like sometimes storytelling wise is that if people go through the time to literally build out way more than anybody is ever going to actually see in the story comic whatever uh it's the, the 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 story you tell and the characters you you share are so much more real and i think that it gives you flexibility to do things like you can have multiple different stories that don't even necessarily have to take have, have the same characters in it or be in the same medium comics movies radio whatever you want to do there's lots of different ways you can tell stories that, that take place in this world and if you take the time to really kind of aim it in and so that's one of the reasons why i liked what they did with not showing you everything because it's 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 I mean granted it's kind of piggybacking on our actual normal world, but I kind of like it when they don't show you every little thing and you know all the answers and all the all the everything. You know when they don't spend you know half of the movie explaining to you the political climate of the world. It just kind of like it throws you into it and it's clear and real and organic and it's happening, but it's not you know it's not shoved down your throat all yeah. the information. A perfect example of that is possibly. Oh, I was just gonna go off of that where um, you're talking where. Uh... Hannah, if you remember the movie yes. Hannah, they could have delved way into you know what was going on with her and how you know she was genetically created and yeah, whatever all that. All but it, they yeah. knew what kind of movie they were going for, and I felt this one was much in the same kind of vibe where they didn't want to go there and didn't feel like they had to because they weren't going for this crazy like sci-fi kind of movie. It was about the characters. I mean, they had obviously the sci-fi element to right. it. But it was kind of cool that they didn't feel like they had to go there because they didn't for it to be successful. Yeah, one of those items, though, that you were talking about, just adding something that has nothing to do with really the story, a great example is The Fifth Element. There's a sequence where they're trying to get on this ship to go onto this pleasure cruise. And they have on the shuttle, like, there's this guy underneath saying, I need some heat, man! And... They give him a flamethrower, and he's just flamethrowing the bottom of where, like, the landing gears are, and these little, like, creatures just fall off. There's no reason that scene needs to be in there. It just adds a little bit to the universe. They don't explain anything more than that. Yeah, exactly. Like, what are those? Who knows? Who cares? But it just adds a little extra depth and flavor. I mean, I really do believe that having characters in the background or even main characters kind of shuffling around doing things 
listening to radio or, or whatever and have there be things that they're doing that don't make sense to us because we don't exist in their world and they just never explain it. Like, I, I, you know, I don't think that's lazy. I think that's brilliant. I think it's really cool because it, it, it makes it like... It, it, it makes it so that you are seeing a window into this world instead of, you know, everybody's kind of catering to you. Like, if you guys ever read a book where the author is clearly catering to new readers mm -hmm. and he starts the book out and he explains everything about the all the characters every time cool. you meet somebody full physical description history with them everything and I understand that's kind of how it has to be in some situations but it feels to me like when a movie is I guess confident enough and bold enough to be like no this is what it is we're not going to give you all the nitty gritty you're going to pick it up because that's not what like you said that's not the story they're trying to tell mm -hmm. that's not the that's not the kind of movie that they want to they want to make yeah I think it makes for better storytelling because if you don't have to explain that big giant world you have to make it all make sense right so then you can tell your story without having to worry about you know why this thing's green exactly or why there's little little jigglybug things on the bottom of their plane. Why are Furbies in the future? <laughs> Alright, so uh, we're going we're gonna to take a little break, and when we come back, we will have our final reviews of Chronicle. get into our actual ratings for Chronicle. I'll start. My rating for this movie, I would say Midnight Show. And I'm not just saying Midnight Show because I actually went to the Midnight Show or because I went and saw it three times, but because I, I genuinely feel like it's worth like going out of your way to see. You know, I have a friend who is not a real movie person and I, I'm always bubbling about movies to him and inevitably he never goes to see them. And I actually like stepped up and was like, I know I say this a lot that you got to go see this movie, but you really owe it to yourself to go see this movie. It is really excellent. Uh, you know, I, I mean, again, you know, I mean, we've talked about why I like that sort of stuff, and I'm a huge Akira fan, and you know, all that. But yeah, definitely, Midnight Show. And then out of out of a hundred, one to a hundred, uh, fun factor, I'm gonna give it like 85. I mean, it was really excellent. You know, there was a few moments where it pulled out, I mean, where it, you know, kind of pulled you out of the, out of the immersion of it, and, and that was really the only time, and, and you know, and, and it's not necessarily all about being fun. There's a lot of fun to be had, but there was also a lot of drama 
an intensity to be had as well. So it's not just about fun. This isn't just a you know you know explosions and boobs movie. It's 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 really good. But but there are some genuinely fun parts of it as well. So I would say give it a high fun factor. So Midnight Show eighty five for me. Uh, JP, I'm right there with you. Um, I definitely give it a Midnight Show. This is a movie where I legitimately regret not being able to see the Midnight Show. You sent me a text, said you want to do it. I had work the next morning. If I knew what I was missing out, I completely would have just blown off work. Forget it. Definitely see it. <laughs> definitely. You know, not a lot of movies do that. And I definitely would have been up the entire night thinking about it. And that would have been fine for me. As far as fun factor... You know what? I'm actually going to give it a 90. My neck was actually out when we went and saw this movie, so I was in a lot of pain. But even so, it took me away from the physical pain that I was experiencing, and I forgot about it for a while. So, you know, that definitely says something. Yeah, really high immersion level. Yeah, I, I was definitely pulled in so much. Yeah, there were a few slow moments, but I still think, overwhelmingly, you were just 100% in there. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to be in the same boat. I've got to give it a midnight showing. If you haven't seen it, uh, please go out and see it, and then go to www.pandamanga.com and hit up our forums and thank me there. Not that I'm above shameless self-promotion or anything. Um, no, but, yeah, it's, it's an absolutely great film. Like I said, one of the best that I've seen in a long time in theaters. Uh, fun factor, I'm also going to give it a 90. There were some really funny parts. There was some really, really cool tricks with the camera and with uh, with the, some of the special effects and the final fight scene. Despite its hang-ups that some of our people had, I still found it very, very badass. Hey, JP, I, I agree with you fully. I'm going to go um, Midnight Showing, although fun factor, not quite 90, not quite 85, 87.5. Uh, oh. Gotta be different. Um, one thing you mainly are you bloody jerk. <laughs> one thing mainly about it, while um, it, it's for me, this was the great way to do like an origin story for um, you know you know superheroes in, in a lot of ways, and I think that this brings out a new way to do it without being the big budget. So looking forward to it. Future of it, it's gonna be great. I'm sorry, I'm gonna go against the rest of the group. Oh, I'm gonna go with the full price. <laughs> um, I I really I really did enjoy it. I I don't have anything against it. I am maybe just cheap. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm just not like normal uh, matinee like person. So. Realistic person in there. <laughs> Here I have am. One of them at some point. Um, totally still worth going to see it. Nothing against it. Awesome job. Other than the one part that I mentioned previously about the fight scene, I agree that it was really good in emerging you in the world of it. So I'm going to go as well with saying an 85 on the other scale. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a full price too. You know, I went into the movie expecting not to like it. I didn't know anything about it and ended up really, really liking it. But at the same point, I don't feel like after having seen it, I'm going to go over onto my computer and change all of my what's your favorite movie questions for all of my passwords to this movie. It's true. <laughs> so... I feel as though it will be one that I will remember, which can't be said for most movies that I've seen in a long time. Very true. But I definitely don't necessarily feel as though it's among the top five that I've ever seen, and just feel like it would be dishonest for me to rate it too highly. 
That said, it was a lot of fun. I think I'm going to go ahead and rate it a 90 because of how much fun I had. Ooh. So, very high praise from Geek Life Panda Mega Podcast. Uh, so, I guess the, the consensus is go watch it. And, and I, think, I think more particularly, go watch it in theaters. It definitely deserves to be seen in theaters. It's quite a spectacle. It's a popcorn movie for sure. For sure, popcorn movie. But it's cerebral popcorn movie. Cerebral popcorn <laughs> movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and, okay, great. So, um, before we move on to our kind of ramble and rant about found film and handycam and verite and all that sort of stuff, I wanted to just plug something that the administrator of the 8th Henry and I did this last week. I was listening to the HP Podcraft, which, again, is a really, really excellent podcast. Uh, I heard about it from the administrator. After recording a couple weeks ago, uh, the administrator and I were talking about, you know, different podcasts. And, you know, I, I definitely think that it's good to, you know, be a, you know, viewer or listener or whatever in whatever it is that you're making creatively. You know, like, I like to make comics. I read comics all the time. You know, all that. So, you know, in that... In that spirit, I wanted to, you know, find out, you know, what some of my friends' favorite podcasts were. And, uh, you know, the Brian gave me some good suggestions. I've been listening to those. And so, you know, the administrator said, hey, you got to check out HP Podcraft. Really excellent. And I agree. It was really, really cool. I liked it quite a bit. And this week they turned, and maybe they have a new one at this point by the time we're recording it, but but the one that I listened to, they were talking about the uh, HP Lovecraft book, which is what that's all about, HP Podcraft, HP Lovecraft, right? Which, if anybody doesn't know who that is, uh, wow. <laughs> HP, really? I'm raising my hand. Oh, Mike. I'm ignorant. I might know it, but so I don't know So, HP Lovecraft, well, why don't, you, why don't you download on, on him, you know, the HP download Lovecraft it. info. Okay, to put it very simply, and this is going to sound really big, but trust me, it's true, H.P. Lovecraft is basically one of the founding fathers of the science fiction genre. Mm. Have you ever heard of Cthulhu? Yes. Yes. Uh, science fiction and horror, he's like in charge of it. Was he the so, guy that made Scientology? No, no that was I no might order. have to stand. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we are going <laughs> this down This is the first PM person. podcast murder brought to you by... Suffice it to say, he's a very, very talented writer. Mm-hmm. Basically, at the time that he was writing... There was no science fiction genre. What he was or writing really was known as... Hmm? Or really horror at the time. Yeah, it was known as Weird Tales, which is actually the name of a magazine that he was published in a lot. Mm-hmm. So these were just odd and strange stories, oh my. From the deep. But there's a handful of authors that were writing around this time that really brought forward the themes that we see in science fiction, novels, movies, everything, that are from these writers that were active in the early 30s. Mm. You know, best known from uh, HP is the Cthulhu Mythos. He is also the guy who really started with a lot of alien things. Because Cthulhu... He's the blame. He's an alien. The dude comes (laughs) from space. (laughs) This theme is from HP. Does he? I always thought Cthulhu was something from the deep, like the Kraken. No, No, he is. Make no mistake. He's hanging out down at the bottom of the ocean. He's an alien who likes the ocean. Because zero (laughs) brain fudge. Right, yeah. Because, you know, out there in space, in the ether. There's no oxygen up there or anything like that. (laughs) Well, gravity. Well, but but, (laughs) so. Makes sense. Patronizing. I'm just not patronizing. I just like 
this Mongoloid voice going over. This is fantastic. This is it's totally absorbing all of it. I enjoy. I, I'm like, wow. This is like the birth of science fiction. I'm thoroughly. You yeah, know, his stuff is really worth it. listening to, and it, and it doesn't even really sound very old timey. Honestly, no, it it's doesn't. Really good. He's quite wordy, mm-hmm. but that's where things like the HP Podcraft comes in. Yeah, okay. Because they bring it down to. I don't want to say, you know, our modern level, like we're really low down on the list of literary stuff, but it's true. They read out his passages and kind of come back and say, okay, basically what's going on here is that there's this creepy little guy over here, and then there's this alien right here, and they're like, no, no, Yeah, they deconstruct his, I mean, that's what they do. His his stories are typically short stories. Okay. And they deconstruct his stories. Only did short stories. Uh, Well, he actually wrote two novelettes. He -hmm. never wrote full-on books. But one of the novelettes that he wrote was actually Shadow Out of Time. So. Right. So, yeah. so getting back to getting back to what I wanted to talk about and plug is uh, HP Podcraft. They were talking about uh, the shadow, or is it a shadow? I think it's the shadow. The shadow. The shadow out of time. Uh, and you know, I don't want to give anything away about the storyline. It's really, really entertaining. But in it, they were talking about and sharing some of the readings from the HPLHS, which is the HP Lovecraft Historical Society. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and their website, if you want to go check it out, is CthulhuLives.org. Yeah. I will spell Cthulhu <laughs> for you. C-T-H-U-L-H-U. Lives, L-I-V-E-S dot org. So CthulhuLives.org. Go check it out. They've got all kinds of fun stuff in there. You can buy things from them. But but what they have done is they've actually gone and made, you know, full production radio shows of a couple of his novelettes. Uh, I think there's three of them up there right now. The most recent one is uh, The Shadow Out of Time. And it was really cool. And so I was enjoying the, the little snippets that they were playing in the, in the, in the podcast and thought it was a very neat idea. And you know, since and I've, I've, we've already talked about this, since getting into doing the podcasts, uh, you know, several of us have gotten really interested in doing radio shows. Uh, you know, like actual sound effects Acting and scripted oh, the whole thing. So it's very totally fascinating. Yeah. So so it's definitely kind of rekindled an interest of mine in that. Mm. And so kind of all of those things coming together, I went ahead and went onto CthulhuLives.org, went to their radio section, and purchased their most recent you know radio broadcast, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, the shadow of time. And, you know, immediately text messages the admin and was like, you and the 8th Henry have to come over tonight. We're going to come. We're going to turn this thing up, turn the lights out, and just listen to it. And that's what we did. We came over, sat in this very space, turned all the lights out, turned the volume up, and just, like, listened for, like, an hour and ten minutes to this incredible story. It's very, very cool. So, you know, anybody that appreciates H.P. Lovecraft, anything, if you don't know about the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, CthulhuLives.org is where you should be right now. And, you know, they have actually actually put out one or two movies that are, like, done in black and white and are apparently considered to be kind of, like, the most faithful and excellent, like, movie versions of anything Lovecraft. So, anyway, you know, not really having a whole lot to do with what we're talking about today, but I really wanted to put that out there while it was fresh in my mind. Very, very, very cool stuff. And, of course, much love to Chris Lackey and Chad Pfeiffer, who are the guys behind HP Podcraft. Definitely, definitely. You should just go to iTunes and subscribe to them right now. It's, it's, it's excellent. It's excellent. We're going to take a moment now and listen to another song from Air Plus Recordings. Uh, before we get into that, though, I wanted to say that Air Plus Recordings has their very own website, finally. Uh, actually, the gentleman whose song we're playing today is the mastermind behind the website, Vague Illusion. Uh, the website is airplusrecordings.com, amazingly enough. Uh, it's a real good website, and they've actually been, it's been growing a great deal recently. They actually have uh, embedded a bunch of the different artists' 
SoundCloud you know, plugins and stuff, and so it's very, very cool. It's kind of the one-stop shop for anything. Uh, AirPlus Recordings, which is, is a good thing. AirPlus Recordings is excellent, and their partnership with us has been really, really cool. We're hoping to get you know, Tigerpaw back on again to do another live song. That was really fun. So, on to the song. Today's song is by Vague Illusions. It's called New Beginnings. Again, you can always find Vague Illusions' other work on soundcloud.com forward slash vague hyphen illusion. Uh, as well as on airplusrecordings.com. So, again, today's song is New Beginnings. Hope you enjoy. by Vague Illusion. You can find his work on soundcloud.com forward slash vague hyphen illusion as well as on airplusrecordings.com. Next up we're going to weigh in on the found footage genre as a whole. We will pick a topic to you know kind of elaborate our opinion and observations about what it means for you know the movie industry and you know just artist artistically in general and um, each of us will hopefully individually have a movie that we'd like to talk about separately from the one that we've talked about already so i uh why don't we have the brian go first oh gee thanks so what can i say about the found footage genre not much uh i guess it started in the 80s i think with cannibal holocaust uh if i remember right 
Okay, I'm getting the thumbs up from Biggs, which means I am correct, like always. Uh, <laughs> and it really kind of exploded with the Blair Witch Project, which got the most of the people outside of the lady in it pretty much blackballed from Hollywood, uh, which was intriguing, but that's a side story for another day. I just thought that there's some interesting things where, you know, we talked about Chronicle, and, and this week Project X came out. Which is a Ooh. basically a Hollywood block or a teen block party movie, which I have no interest in seeing whatsoever. Yeah, super bad. Filmed yeah. by camera phones. Yeah, you know. But uh. even though I have no interest in seeing it, it at least is a jump from the horror films, which is pretty much what I've seen with all of them, either a monster horror film or a paranormal horror horror flick. Whereas Chronicle and Project X are the first two that I can think of that are not in those genres. So it's going to be interesting, and especially with the critical success and in some, to some extent the commercial success that Chronicle has had and whether or not Project X is going to be a bomb or you know if it's going to just blow up at the box office, where is Hollywood going to go next? The director of Project X actually said that filming in that found footage style actually helped him because he couldn't see any drawbacks to it. But he did see that there were advantages of doing that, that he could actually change some things or shortcut things in storytelling and how he wanted to make the film to make it actually easier on him as a director and a creator. So I, I'm intrigued as to where it's going to go in the future, but I can't really say I'm an expert on it. I've seen, let's see here, Cloverfield, Troll Hunter, and Chronicle. So my like knowledge of the genre itself is not very high. I'm not a big horror movie fan. They bore me to tears. So going to see Paranormal Activity, well, I guess if I have Insomnia or something, take me to it. <laughs> um, I, I am kind of interested in the Spanish series uh, Rec, or REC for record, um, which they made a American version called Quarantine. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see those, but I have yet to see them. So all I can talk about is pretty much the superhero thing, which we've already discussed, and the two monster movies, which I think pretty much everybody in this room for Cloverfield was kind of either in the meh to didn't really like it kind of category so so, so, like, so so what i'm hearing from you is that you are going to kind of have to hold judgment on the genre as a whole because it hasn't done a diverse enough uh you know movie styles yeah movie i mean that's, that's too much that's, of the same over um, and over again i almost feel it in some ways that i have to abstain from this as far as my judgment on it because it feels right now that it's pretty much have we gone as far as it's going to go in the genre? Or is the genre now going to really start taking off and breaking off into different subcultures instead of just paranormal horror movies? Um, my favorite of the bunch outside of Chronicle was Troll Hunter. I thought that's a really, really great film, a Norwegian film, if I remember right, mm -hmm. um, about trolls. And one thing that Trickster had said uh, in her <clears throat> review was talking about how you had changes in cameras and how you could actually tell the difference in the camera and the you could tell the difference in the camera work and both just the style of the camera and the actual quality of the film itself 
And in Troll Hunter, they actually do something similar to that, where for reasons that I won't go into, they actually have to cha uh, change into a different camera person. And that person... Two, two different... And, and it is two yeah. completely different cameras, because this person actually has to bring their own camera with them, because they're filming a documentary. And so not only does, at that point, does the quality of the video change, but also the style of the filmmaking changes completely, because in that case, it's now her way of shooting films, as opposed to the guy before. Right. So it was a very interesting thing. I can't recommend Troll Hunter highly enough unless you really have an aversion to subtitles. If that's the case, then stay away. Other than that, it's a great flick. Uh, Cloverfield was kind of a myth, but like I said, those are the three films I've seen in the genre. Mm -hmm. I haven't, so you're just kind of holding opinion into I, I kind of have to hold my opinion range. on it. Yeah. So, Mike, what, what's your what's your perspective? You know, I have to, I have to agree a lot with what the Brian is saying, is that, you know, I think it's kind of too early in the realm of the genre to really judge it. Although, from what I have seen so far, I am not a big fan of it. Um, you know, it seems like it's going to do its best work in horror and paranormal activities, stuff like that. Um, but um, I was really excited with Chronicle, uh, where it's going to go, and I'm kind of curious of Project Act, even though it does look really really stupid um there's a possibility that it's going to be you know it could bring some life to the genre so it's something i'd like to look at push some boundaries a little bit yeah i'm kind of in the same field with these guys is that i haven't seen that many what i do recognize in it is that it provides two really good opportunities one of which we found in chronicle and that i know there was some speculation about whether it could have been filmed you know just in the regular film style without it having to be you know the the characters filming it but it does provide an opportunity to give the film a specific vibe um, and also gives a certain level of intimacy with the characters mm -hmm. that it's an interesting thing to be able to play with. Um, and I think there's really value in that. Um, and then the other option opportunity is that um, there are there is a certain um, use for it in low-budget filmmaking, and it'll provide... A lot of things like, you know, Blair Witch or um, Paranormal Activity where, you know, you get filmmakers that maybe won't be able to break into the Hollywood kind of style or industry unless they're getting films made. And this is a way to do it. And I think that it's, you know, maybe not the right route for everyone, but for people who are, enjoy it and are good at it, it's a great way to go. Trickster and I actually just watched the Blair Witch Project like what maybe a week or two ago. So yeah. this kind I've of never seen that. Really, <laughs> really. So, so this jumped right into kind of our the uh, the whole found footage scene that we were already kind of writing. I want to say that I agree with the point that it adds a certain level of intimacy, and I think that it does so not just in being able to perceive the what the characters are experiencing, but it also makes some things that may seem a little out of the ordinary become a little more visceral. And the movie that I'm going to use to point this out is the incredibly controversial Man Bites Dog, which is a Belgian mockumentary from 92. Wow, that was a really interesting movie. Um, basically what happens in this is, the story is that there's these young filmmakers who try to make a documentary about this serial killer. And he's this guy who goes around and actively kills people, but isn't, you know, known by the authorities and kind of goes about his business. And they follow him and film the things that he does. And there's some 
some really fascinating scenes where he, you know, they film him literally murdering people. And there's other scenes where it shows he's just this regular guy and they're talking about how much he loves the architecture of the building across from where he lives. And so it really shows kind of the, you know, how much of a psychopath this guy is as the Brian was defining as opposed to sociopath earlier. But basically what happens is that the film crew starts to kind of relate to this incredibly charismatic character and start jumping into the action. And there's some really, really graphic rape scenes and everything else, but it's kind of about how charming this character is and then kind of drags them into basically this incredibly disgusting, horrifying lifestyle, which can be really difficult to watch. But the way it was done made it so that you kind of could understand what the camera crew was going through. And you could kind of sort of understand from the periphery how they were drawn in by this guy's charisma. But tying back into my, one of the problems that I had with, with Chronicle is that at no point in the film do you feel like the people are making, trying to shoehorn the found footage into the film. Like it feels like it's part of it and there are certain things that you lose from, from it being that way, but it just is part of the experience. You don't feel like it was a story that they came up with and were like, okay, now we got to do found footage. How can we make this kitschy? It was just part of the way it worked and you don't even think about it. So like all of us, obviously, we're looking at Chronicle and trying to see, okay, so how are they doing this shot? And how are they doing this shot to make sure that they're staying true to it? Whereas in this film, you don't even really think about it. It's just part of the fiber of the film. So I feel as though, again, if it's well done, I think that it's definitely going to be a great opportunity for some filmmakers if that's what they want to do. But obviously, I'm someone who's not huge into kitsch as far as films go, so I don't think that it's sort of the catch-all or is going to be as useful as it as the recent boom in this style of film is making it seem. My perspective on all this, I, I, I piggybacking on what Trickster said, I do feel like it provides certain opportunities uh, for filmmakers to, yes, provide that intimacy and, and just from a financial perspective, if somebody has something, something has, how to put this, it, it that opportunity that it provides is close to my heart because I feel like there's a lot of people out there that have a good story to tell and have the skill to do it, but they don't have the resources to fuel that. That's a, the, 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 the pain and the pit of every art student's stomach, of every film student's stomach, of every writer and everything is that, is that half the time you want to get something out there. And a lot of people, I think more than anybody could ever really know or appreciate, have legitimately excellent ideas and really incredible creative things to share with the world. And they do not have the resources to make that happen. Financially, I'm talking about in particular, you know, and... And it's uh, it's it's an absolute uh, it's horrible it's horrible that, that that that's the way it is for so many people and so for something like this to come along and provide an inexpensive way for people to to share their creativity and their ideas and to experiment and expand and, and get some breathing room and stretch their legs a little bit creatively I think is really great I think that that the opportunity that it provides for people to who do not have the resources to have a Hollywood or even a, a like excellent you know independent film level of finances or resources, but for them to be able to go out and make something that is legitimately enthralling and interesting is really exciting, and that it's been received so well commercially and by kind of big Hollywood that it it really does offer people kind of an immediate leg up to be able to 
actually make a lot of money with a small amount of investment with a good idea so that you do get kind of a direct relation to like how successful you are is how creative and excellent you are in your skillfulness and, and preparation and all that in comparison to how much money you throw at something is how successful you are because I think that's garbage. Um, and a good example of this is a web series that the administrator showed me a while back uh, called Marble Hornets. You can go onto YouTube and type in Marble Hornets and they have like a channel. I figure, is Marble Hornets the name of the uploader or is Marble that the name Hornets of the channel? Marble Hornets is the name of the um, film student's movie. Right in the beginning right, of right. the show. Okay, so so but type in Marble Hornets and you'll find you'll find yourself a channel. And there's probably at this point almost thirty little clips or more. Oh geez, yeah. We're actually I think we surpassed fifty. Fifty, okay. And and, and these clips range from anywhere from under a minute to, you know, almost twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. And essentially it tells the story of somebody who is a friend of uh, of, a, of a film student who helped this film student on his project. And through this project, this film student started to kind of come apart psychologically and all of a sudden stopped filming, threw all of the tapes into a box and was going to burn them and then move away. And the, the main character of this, the one who is you know uploading these videos, supposedly, um, is actually... You know, was the roommate of this film student who's losing his mind at the time, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no! Don't! That's it's, it's such a waste! No, no, no! Just I'll take him! I'll take him!" You know, and and the and the film student, he he's like, "Okay, fine, take him, but I don't ever want to see them again. That is that is the only rule. If you take this, I don't want. Don't talk to me about it. Don't 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 show me the videos. I don't. I want nothing to do with these. So it's like clear. This guy's spooked at this at this you know stuff and. He slowly starts to kind of go through and read and, and look through these videos later on and um, starts to post kind of the weird shit that he finds. Because, you know, the idea is that it's a, it's a film student's kind of stockpile of footage. And so there's all kinds of stuff, not, not necessarily things that would be used, you know, lots of takes and all that sort of stuff. And what, what this guy is looking for are these kind of odd paranormal things happening and this like increased level of paranoia and this like the main the the film student guy starts to film himself and so there's like all this additional footage because he's clearly paranoid and concerned about something and this all ties into the mythos of slender man uh, which is really interesting if you want to look that up. I don't want to get into that because we don't have time. But but just just that right there, that Marble Hornets, where I mean, it's clearly like a couple of friends with like a freaking handy cam. It's we're not talking like a nice you know HD you know I mean, like these guys have a camera that's probably worth about 150 bucks you know, and they've created this entire series of stories over the course of a couple years that we made a playlist of them and just watched them all one night and it was it was everything from exciting, interesting, scary, you know, the whole range. And it, I mean it's really excellent. And you know these guys, because of the way that they put out their their story, did not have the money to do it in any other way. But they still found a way through this style to get their message out there. And it's become wildly popular. And, and has gotten them quite a bit of recognition and conti- ongoingly is still happening. So, I mean, just that's a good example. Marble Hornets, check it out. So, I actually really enjoy the genre. Uh, I think found footage is a very powerful means to tell a tale. I'm also a big fan of the horror genre, so that's probably why I, I kind of lean more towards it. The reason why I like this so much is because just like Trickster and Biggs were saying, it 
brings you closer to the characters. And at the end of the day, that's all I care about in a movie. I want to know the people that this story is about. And I feel like with the found footage, you're right up there with them. It's completely intimate. You know what these people are thinking. It's not polished and perfect like in Hollywood. There are ums and ahs and all the things that we're trying to avoid in the podcast here. <laughs> and that just makes it so real. And the reason why this is so successful with horror is because you feel right with them when scary stuff happens. When something jumps out at them, they're like, <gasps> and they jump back and you feel that right along with them. I think it also lends to the horror genre because with the found footage, you're seeing what these people are seeing and that is most often less than what you would see in a Hollywood film. You don't see the monster right off in the found footage. You know, they're wandering around with a handy cam. They see just like this little whew, something flash, go by yeah. yeah, in the hallway and they're like, oh, holy crap. They're not running down to do a like panning shot to show the monster as it like writhes down the hallway. No, you just see just enough to be scared shitless. And that brings so much to the movie. It just has me wanting more. Mm -hmm. That being said, this particular genre, I think, is difficult to do well. It looks really simple, but it's actually pretty hard to do because remaining consistent like this, I think, is a lot of a challenge. Well, I think, I think like we were talking about with, with uh, specifically under the guise of found footage, not just Handycam, but, you know, the idea that this story actually happened and they threw together all, this, all the pertinent available footage from regard you know all the different cameras and stuff like I think that your attention to detail has to be really high <laughs> you know because you, you you're gonna break that fourth wall which you're trying so hard to maintain uh, if you do anything uh, incorrectly and so it, like you could you could blow open the entire guise and, and vibe you're trying to make with that movie if you don't have the right have camera styles change and have the quality different and all that sort of stuff and all that attention to detail. I mean, I would say it almost makes it more complicated because you have so many different, you know. I mean, especially movies like Chronicle because they have so many different cameras filming the whole damn thing. You know, it's got to be super difficult. You can, instead of just having like one camera or like a handful of cameras and they're all the same model or something. Right, but in that there's a little secret bonus, is that when these movies are bad they have a tendency to become utterly hilarious. <laughs> and that's another reason why I love this style so much. Uh, the thing that really comes to mind is a little film called The St. Francisville Experiment. It came out in 2000. It was definitely trying to be the next Blair Witch product, uh, Project. And it's Oh, it, it's so great, but it's not because it's you know great as a film. It's because it's so terrible. It just becomes this classic that you just want to see over and over again. Yeah. Crashes and burns. So it follows the same idea. You know, you got a bunch of kids who are actually going to do kind of a mock. It's a mockumentary about these kids that go into a haunted house and they're trying to find ghosts. Mm. And a about, oh, I'd say a quarter of the way in, it starts falling apart. It's obvious that the people producing this film just got in way over their heads, found footage is way more than they were trying to do, you know, they're limited by the single camera, and so abstract craziness just starts happening. So you walk in... Scooby shows up. It's just one little snippet away from One that. way, yeah. Seriously. One so step. you walk into, you know, this mansion with them, one camera... This mansion just has a bunch of stuff. It's falling apart. You know, they're having trouble with electricity. 
by the end of the movie, now there are five kids in this, right? By the end of the movie, every kid has a camera. <laughs> Never explained it. They don't go, oh, also, look, this closet's full of cameras. No, they split up Scooby style, and you're following every single one of them, and you realize, holy shit, every single one is holding a camera. At what point did they, did they get camera? the cameras? And it just becomes so hilarious. You don't want it to end because you want to see how this film further messes up. So, you know, that's just another aspect of this is that when the movies go bad, it could be just they're so bad that they're good. And that's why I really hope that this continues to be a popular field to go down. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to how it develops and unfolds. Yeah. It's it certainly is. I mean, even though it's it's, you know, you know, decades old at this point. Um, it's it's easily it's still relatively it's, it's still new kind of in its, its infancy, you know. Um, I do think I do hope that it can continue forward to become a legitimate style of movie, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily the be all end all, uh, you know, but but to become a legitimate filming style that continues forward, um, you know, for all the different reasons that we talked about here. Um, anyway, so I guess you know summation. It's interesting, and we're looking forward to seeing where it goes. Definitely, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. Well, that's all we have for you guys today. Thank you for listening to the Geek Life Pandemega podcast. Thanks for all of our amazing guests and Trickster. We're glad to have you on here for the first time. Thank you. I uh, really appreciate all of your insight and, uh, and ideas and observations. It's very, very cool. Uh, we hope to have you back on the next ma- uh, movie podcast. Let me see. Yeah, so uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit pandamega.com for all your indie comic needs. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, please visit the forums at forum.pandamega.com. Anyone interested in becoming a contributor with Pandamega, please visit our contact page at contact.pandamega.com and complete the form located there. This is Mike, and we'll see you next time.
gamut pigs. I totally farted in the <laughs> Like really terrible. Like eggs and fish terrible. <laughs> wafting, wafting, wafting. wafting. <laughs>